Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week continues our new teaching series, Outlaw. Join Valley Point Church as we look to biblical imagery that presents Jesus as a radical who challenged the religious machinery of his day. Through his life, ours can be changed. This is Outlaw. And welcome to Outlaw Week Number Two. And here's what I want everybody to do: take your program like this, and start doing a little bit of this. All right. And feel free to send some of that up this way as well. So, in the spirit of Outlaw, we wanted to create an authentic environment. And normally, it's hot and sweaty when you have these showdowns. So we thought we would just make it real for you. You know, in just about every Western movie. There is good confronting evil, and at some point, there is the classic showdown, and the show begins to build momentum and tension until it brings us to that moment where we experience the showdown, and it's normally at high noon on a dusty road in some small little town, and it's two people that are staring at each other. And they're measuring every move. And then finally, there is a draw and a shot rings out. That's a shootout. And there's four distinct parts to every shootout. There's the call out where the challenge is given. Like, I want you and I want you now and here's how this is going to work. That's the call out. And then there's the face off where lines are drawn and we can now see who we're facing. After the face-off is the draw, and after the draw is the shootout, and when the shootout happens, there is a decisive end to all of the tension. And it's a showdown like this that has captivated the world from the very beginning. So like a good movie that has stood the test of time, we're going to throw ourselves into this classic battle that puts Jesus the outlaw, Jesus the nonconformist. And keep in mind, for the sake of our series and our experience, we're defining outlaw not as a bad guy, but as an individual who cannot be described, somebody who challenges the status quo, somebody who is a nonconformist, somebody like Jesus. And so this classic battle of the ages puts Jesus the nonconformist against Satan. And here's why we want to look at this showdown, and here's why this is valuable to us. It's because no showdown is bigger. No showdown is bigger than the one with Jesus the nonconformist against Satan. None is bigger. And none has more at stake for us, not only in the past, but also for our future. And so that's why we're going to take a look at this classic showdown. And if you know the story, and you're aware of what happens, and you know everything that's involved, then I would encourage you this way. Here's what I want for you today. I want for you to be impressed once again with God's strength, okay? 
Because sometimes we just forget about that and life happens and we move on and we forget about how amazing God is and all that he's done for us and how strong he is. And so if you're aware of this story and you know what happens, then I want you once again to be impressed with the strength of God because he is incredibly strong. If you're not aware of this showdown and you don't know what it looks like and sounds like and what happens, then here's what I want for you. I want for you to just be amazed at what God has specifically done for you because he's done something for all of us. And so if you're not very familiar with the story, I want for you to just be amazed and impressed at what God has done for you and what he offers. And here's why I say that. It's our big idea today. And that is the showdown allows me to personalize God's love and strength. It's what it does for us. This classic showdown of the ages allows me to personalize God's love and strength. In other words, it's for me. So here's what happened. God the creator and the designer of the universe one day was called out by one of his created beings. Now, that seems kind of strange and odd that something that God had created to be subservient to him would actually call him out, but that's what happens. His name is Lucifer, Satan, the devil, and he had a desire to take God's job. He had an interest in being God himself, and so this story involves God and angels and threats and hatred, and plans. It is intense, and it starts at the very beginning of time. Now, part one of a showdown is the call-out, and we see the call-out in Isaiah chapter 14. And in this paragraph, we get a commentary about angels. Now, here's what we know and what we have discovered based on what scripture tells us about angels. When God created them, he created them with rank and order. There was a hierarchy to the angels and they all answered to God himself. Scripture tells us that there was an archangel who was over all of the other angels. His name was Lucifer, created by God. Scripture also tells us this about Lucifer. He was absolutely stunning. He was just a beautiful angel. And as the other angels looked at him, they would know him to be an amazing, beautiful, created being by God. He was beautiful. He was something to look at. He was a hot mess. That's Lucifer. Here's what else we know about Lucifer. He was a gifted musician. That's what scripture tells us. I mean, he could really play the harp. He had mad skills or the guitar or the piano, or whatever he played, we're not sure because Scripture doesn't tell us what he played. It just says that he was a very gifted musician. And so in this story, in this classic battle, this showdown of the ages, Lucifer, this created being who was beautiful and had very gifted skills in the area of being a musician, looks at God and basically says, I would like to have your job. I would like to be you. And so the commentary about Lucifer, the angel, is found in Isaiah chapter 14. And here's what it says in verse 13 about him. You said in your heart, 
I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And as you listen to the words of this rogue angel, you sense the raw ambition, the selfish pretension, and the amazing narcissism that caused him to have aspirations for the top job, a job that was not designed for him at all. Let's think about aspirations for a moment. Because not all aspirations are bad, right? So today at some point this afternoon, I'm going to sit down and I aspire to watch the Eagles absolutely smoke the Giants. And I think that's going to happen, right? That's a good aspiration, isn't it? Go Eagles. I also aspire to be healthy. And so while I watch the Eagles smoke the Giants today, I'm going to eat less junk food. That's a good aspiration, isn't it? If I were to stand up and say, I want to be like God, or I would desire his chair and his spot, I want his job. Not a good aspiration. As a matter of fact, that would fall under the category of the most unholy kinds of aspirations that you could ever have in life. But yet, this is what Satan does. He basically looks at God's chair and says, that's exactly what I want. I want to be in that place. I want to be in that spot. I want everybody, including God himself, to answer to me. How does God respond to this? It's almost like God says, really? You want to go there? And here's God's response in Isaiah 46. God says, remember this. Fix it in mind Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So the call out by Lucifer, a created being of God, was given to God himself. God accepts and says, game on. Which brings us to the next part of a showdown, and that is the face-off. And the face-off is kind of interesting because it's here where lines are drawn and you get the opportunity to actually see your opponent face-to-face. And while we don't know the exact time frame of how all of this happened, this epic showdown between Lucifer or Satan and Jesus, the nonconformist, we know that it happened. And at some point, God kicks him out of heaven and he lands on earth and he begins to go after God's prized possession. And God's prized possession is people. It's us. And Satan has and continues to do everything within his power to take us away from a real relationship with God. We're the prized possession. And so the face-off begins to happen in Genesis chapter 3, where Lucifer now begins to go after God's people and his created being. So here's what we find in verse 1. Now the serpent 
or Lucifer was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? By the way, this is what Satan does all of the time. He questions God and he gets us to question God. Did God really say I have to live my life this way? Did God really say I have to be in his word? Did God really say that I have to remain pure and holy? Did God really say that I have to put others before myself? Did God really say that I have to be a generous person? See, Satan begins to get us to question all of the time. And he starts it here right at the very beginning when there were only two people on earth. And he looks at the woman. He looks at Eve and he begins to question her. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. If we were to read through the rest of that story, you discover that God confronts Adam and Eve and talks to them and senses that something isn't right. And he talks to Adam about that and Adam blames his wife. That's always a good thing to do, isn't it? And Eve blamed the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. That's my best joke all day, okay? That's like all I've got. So if this is all that you ever read about this classic showdown, if you kind of just hung out in Genesis chapter 3 and stopped there, you would begin to think that the showdown is actually over and ends with the face-off. The wrong guy won. The wrong team won. Evil won. And Satan will lie and cheat and steal his way into doing that. But this is just the face-off. There is more to come. The draw begins, and I believe God looks at Satan and says, bring it. And so here's where we find the draw. It's in Matthew chapter 27. So we've discovered the challenge We've discovered the face-off, and now we move to the draw, and this epic showdown gets a little more intense. Here's verse 33. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there's probably no more appropriate place to have a showdown than a place that looks like a skull, right? And that's happening here. Verse 35. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. This is Jesus, the outlaw. This is Jesus, the nonconformist. And the face-off is happening, and it doesn't look so good. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And just like the typical showdown on western streets where people begin to gather because they want to watch the carnage and they want to see what's about to happen. That actually takes place here. Verse 39. Those who passed by 
hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. And when the tension reached its peak, and the silence so thick that you could cut it with a knife, Jesus then screams out, verse 50, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And you read that again and you think, this is not a good scenario. Again, it appears that the wrong team has won. The wrong guy won. Evil won because we have a death here. Jesus, the nonconformist, is lying in a grave. This is over and that actually brings us to the shot in Matthew chapter 28. And I think Satan wanted to believe that it was over, even though he had an idea of what was coming. But he had high hopes that perhaps, perhaps this is my chance and this is my opportunity where Jesus will remain dead and I'll be able to take that top spot. I will be God. But the rumbling began to occur three days later. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. Suddenly there was a great earthquake because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here. He has been raised from the dead just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. That's the shot. And the shot had been taken. And while it's true that Jesus endured a flesh wound, a death blow had been given to Satan because the showdown's over. God won. And life is available for all. Game over. The showdown is won by God himself and the battle of the ages is concluded with Jesus the outlaw, Jesus the nonconformist, beating death. Hope is delivered, the conflict is resolved and that is really good news. It's good news. And so what do we take away from this? When you think about this showdown of the ages between Jesus the nonconformist and Satan, which was won by Jesus himself when he got up out of the grave, what are the takeaways for us? And I have three for you today. Here's number one. God is in control. From the very beginning, God was in control. In the middle of a serious threat, God was in control. In the face of a serious enemy, God was in control. And when options seem limited, God was in control. He was in control all along the way, even though it didn't always look like it, and even though it didn't always sound like it or feel like it, God was in control. God doesn't freak out at stuff. I freak out at things. And maybe you would throw yourself into that category as well. I know I'm really, really good at that, but God doesn't freak out at stuff. He is completely in control. And so guess what this means 
for us? Well, in the middle of a serious threat, whatever that might look like for you or me, God is in control. And in the face of a serious enemy, God is in control. And when options seem limited, God is still in control. He is in control all of the time, even when it doesn't look like it or feel like it or I don't even believe it. It's still true. And the showdown here from the challenge to the face-off to the draw to the shot helps us embrace the fact and internalize that God is in control over everything that is happening everywhere, including my life. God is in control. And maybe that's what you need to hear today as you face some struggles or you face someone or something that is just tearing you apart or there is uncertainty in your world. Maybe what you need to know and understand is that God is not freaking out and he is in control. It's what we learn from the showdown. God is still in control. Here's the second takeaway, and that is God loves. God loves. Why else would he go through all of this unless there was just this intense love on God's part for you? I mean, it would be easier just to leave this whole thing alone. Or maybe go about it a different way, but Satan was after God's prized possession and God did everything within his power and ability to win us back. He stopped at nothing, including sending his one and only son, Jesus the outlaw, Jesus the nonconformist, to come and change the status quo of the day and make it possible for us to have this forever friendship with God. See, God loves us that much that he gave up something that was special and precious, and he did that to win our hearts and to win our souls and to win our loyalty. God loves us, and maybe you've never heard that before or you've never sensed that. Maybe you're here and your thinking is that God is just off somewhere and he's watching everything spin out of control. Just know that's not the case because from the showdown we get and we understand that God loved us enough to enact a plan to overcome a pretty formidable enemy. God loves us. He loves us, he loves us, he loves us and that's not going to stop. Takeaway number three. Live the reality of God's love and control. Are you? If somebody confronted you with that and asked you, are you living the reality of God's love and control? How do you think you would respond to that? And can other people see that? When the rain comes in your life, are you living the reality of God's love and control? How about this? When success comes, even then, are you living the reality of God's love and control in a world filled with hurt and pain and intense suffering and government shutdowns, right? Are we living the reality of God's love and control? And is that falling out of us? If we're followers of Christ, it should be, and here's why. It's because the showdown allows me to personalize God's love and strength. Is that your reality? 
Father, we come to you and we're grateful for today and for some time to investigate these different paragraphs of Scripture that talk about the showdown of the ages, something that happened many years ago but still impacts us to this day. And God, it's from this classic showdown that we really discover your love for us and the reality of your control over everything, including me, and the fact that we now have this ability to demonstrate to others, if we're truly following after you, your love and control, your love and your strength in our lives as we walk through every kind of hurt and pain and every kind of success. This should be coming out of us. So God, I pray that you'd help us all just to really think about what Jesus the outlaw has done for us and how God his Father sent him to walk through all of this, to have this amazing showdown with an enemy. And Jesus suffered a flesh wound, but yet you delivered the death blow to Satan when Jesus got up and walked out of that tomb, assuring us of a home with you and a forever friendship that is possible because of what you've done. And so, God, today we sit here and we're humbled by this showdown and how you, the great and powerful God, makes that same power available to all of us today to live for you, to chase you, to please you. God, help us to do whatever it is that you want for us as we walk out of here, whether that's really handing things over to your control, not freaking out, or whether that's embracing your love for us, or God, whether that's just sensing your love and strength should be coming out of me as I walk through hurt and as I even walk through success. God, just speak to us now. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. And for you just to think about what God has been whispering into your heart, what's tugging at you right now about what you need to do or what God has done for you. And just talk to God. That's all that prayer is. It's talking to him just like I'm talking. And you just say, God, this is what you're whispering into my heart right now. This is what you're asking of me. Or this is what I really sense compelled to do when I walk out of here in a bit. And maybe that's about God's control or his love or living out his strength. Just talk to him about that. You know, maybe God's love has really challenged you this morning and you're understanding that. Just talk to God about that and maybe for the first time you want to reach out and ask for that love and personalize that for you and trust in the work of Jesus alone and just tell God you're ready to do that and you want him as your forever friend. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to lead you and trust in him. So God, in the quietness of this moment here, 
We're so thankful for this epic showdown that took place and how you were victorious. You walked through that call out and the face off and the draw and the shot and you won. So we know that we're not trusting in and we're not following someone who is defeated, someone who is dead, someone who is a joke, someone who has no authority or no power or no ability at all. We are talking to the one who has conquered, the one who has defeated death itself and now offers to us a life worth living. God, help us to chase that. Help us to be obedient to you And help us to be so willing, just so willing to follow in the steps of Jesus, the nonconformist, the outlaw, because of all that he's done for us. And we'll thank you, God, and praise you for everything that you do in and through us. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.